0: And they got like you out.
1: This is VOA News. I'm Marissa Melton. Rescuers on Thursday recovered more bodies buried under tons of mud after a landslide crashed into a hilly Indonesian village, raising the number of dead to more than 20. AP correspondent Karen Chamas.
2: Over a dozen rescuers crowd around a newly discovered body drenched in mud in a village on Indonesia's remote Natuna Islands. The men lift the body into a body bag before carrying it off into a truck. Authorities have deployed more than 200 rescuers to search for over 30 people still missing. Many were apparently trapped in houses that were buried under the landslide, which according to officials was 13 feet deep. The search and rescue operation has been hampered by heavy rains around the disaster site, as the weather has forced the search effort to be halted several times. I'm Karen
1: Chamas. In China, Xi Jinping was handed a norm-busting third term as president on Friday, capping a rise that has seen him become China's most powerful leader in generations. The appointment by Beijing's parliament comes after he locked in, in another five years as head of the Communist Party and the military, the two more significant leadership positions in Chinese politics in October. Russian strikes knocked out power in Ukraine's second-largest city, Kharkiv, on Thursday. The regional governor of Kharkiv said Thursday his city in northeastern Ukraine had been hit by about 15 S-300 ballistic missiles, which Ukraine is unable to intercept. He said civilian infrastructure was among targets. Traffic lights weren't working, and the noise of power generators was heard On the streets of Kharkiv, local residents gathered next to a power charging point, known in Ukraine as an invincibility point, to charge their phones off of a power generator. The mass strikes on targets far from the front were the first such wave since mid-February. VOA News. A letter claiming to be from the Mexican drug cartel blamed for kidnapping four Americans and killing two of them Condemns the violence. AP's Ed Donahue has more.
3: In a letter obtained by the AP, the Scorpions faction of the Gulf cartel apologized to the people of Matamoros where the Americans were kidnapped, the Mexican woman who died in the cartel shootout, and the four Americans and their families. The letter says those who were directly involved went against the cartel rules that include respecting the life and well-being of the innocent and were turned over to police. A photograph of five bound men face down on the pavement accompanied the letter. Jerry Wallace, a cousin of one of the Americans kidnapped, says he does not accept any apologies. It doesn't change the suffering they went through. I'm Ed Donahue.
1: Authorities say a Norfolk Southern train has derailed in Alabama. AP correspondent Norman Hall has that story.
4: A Norfolk Southern train derailed in East Central Alabama, but company and local officials say there is no threat to the public. The Alabama accident came on the same day Norfolk Southern CEO testified before Congress about the impact of a hazardous materials train derailment in Ohio. The derailment in Calhoun County, northeast of Birmingham, involved about 37 train cars. A company spokesman said none of the cars carried hazardous materials, but two of them are considered residue cars because they previously contained hazardous materials. They were not compromised. I, Norman Hall.
1: Danish police have searched for a yacht on a tiny Baltic Sea island near the Nord Stream pipeline blast sites, according to a local administrator. German authorities confirmed they had raided a ship in January that may have been used to transport explosives used to blow up the pipelines. The September 26 explosions on the Nord Stream pipelines have become a flashpoint between the West and Russia. After last year's Russian invasion of Ukraine, the pipeline was constructed to supply Russian natural gas to Europe. Authorities in Sweden, Germany and Denmark are investigating the blasts. Several people were reported dead, with others injured after a shooting in the northern German city of Hamburg, officials said on Thursday. A shooting took place at a Jehovah's Witness Center in the Gross district around 9 p.m. local time. According to German media reports, at least seven people were killed in the shooting. An attacker opened fire in central Tel Aviv on Thursday in a suspected terrorist attack wounding three people before being neutralized by Israeli police. Large numbers of police and medical workers rushed to Dizengoff Street in the heart of the city where the gunman carried out the attack. A street-side restaurant was left empty after customers apparently fled the scene in the middle of their meals. Marissa Melton, B.O.A. News.
3: Good morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Friday, March 10, and here are some of the stories we are covering. South Africa says a wage dispute strike by health workers is claiming the lives of patients. We are still met with arrogance by a government that does not really care about workers. And it is our position that this strike must continue unabated until such time that this government takes a decision to listen. Eastern DRC residents react to a ceasefire announcement by the M23 rebels. Nigeria's local government elections are delayed after a challenge to the presidential vote. Hundreds of South Sudanese women pray for peace. Today,
5: our coming here for praying, we know that uh, our country is in the situation which is not allowed to women to just sit silent in the house and just watch what is going on.
3: And no African films are nominated for this year's Oscars. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley Sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. A countrywide strike by health workers in South Africa has started to claim the lives of patients. The workers have maintained their protest since Monday, demanding a 10% wage increase. The government is offering a 4.7% increase that has been rejected by the workers. Minister of Health Joe Partler says the strike has affected major hospitals across the country and the care of patients. Tuso Kumalo reports from Johannesburg.
6: Minister Pachler says his department has called on the police to intervene after striking workers prevented those on duty from entering hospitals. He told a media briefing in Johannesburg that in some instances, those found working have been violently removed from the wards, leaving critical patients unattended.
3: We received accounts from the hospital management, various divisions. Uh, casualty, uh, theatre, various ICU wards, adult and children's ICU wards, uh, giving us uh, very horrendous stories of how they struggled to get in uh, to come and save lives.
6: This, he says, has resulted in some patients losing their lives with no one to attend to them. A number of provincial health authorities have now obtained court prohibitions preventing striking workers from disrupting work in hospitals. However, the striking workers, all affiliated with the National Education, Health and Allied Workers Union, NEHAO, are adamant that they have a constitutional right to strike. They accuse the government of being the cause of the protest after it failed to give them what they wanted. Msigay Senchonji, a provincial secretary of Nehao, spoke to the media about their grievances.
3: From where we are standing, we are still met with arrogance by a government that does not really care about workers. And it is our position that this strike must continue unabated until such time that this government takes a decision to this.
6: However, Mlung Sinlovo from the Public Service Association told a group of journalists that those not taking part in the strike are being intimidated. Our members are unable to assess many of the workplace. We find that some of the institutions have been forcefully removed. At some hospitals, police have used rubber bullets to remove striking workers from blocking entrances. Minister Patla says his department is now seeking legal action after the death of four patients that can be directly linked to the protest. For VOA News, I am Tusokumano in Johannesburg.
3: This Saturday, March 11 election in Nigeria for governance and state assemblies have been postponed by a week, with officials citing pending legal cases in a presidential vote. Nigeria's opposition parties have filed lawsuits to examine ballot papers and voting machines in the February twenty-five presidential polls. They alleged that the vote was rigged. Nigeria's electoral commission declared ruling all progressive Congress parties candidate the winner and next president of the country, Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja.
0: The Independent National Electoral Commission (INEC) announced Wednesday night the new date of March 18 for local voting after an executive meeting. The meeting was held shortly after a federal appeals court ruling that favored applications by the opposition. People's Democratic Party and Labor Party to inspect materials, including ballot papers and result sheets used in February 25th presidential and parliamentary elections. EINEC had filed a countersuit saying it needed to reconfigure the voting machines known as the bimodal voter accreditation systems, ahead of the gubernatorial elections that had been planned for this Saturday. But the court directed EINEC to upload information in the beavers into a secure server for opposition parties to review. INEC said the ruling less than 72 hours before the polls came far too late for the commission to adequately prepare for the elections. Fester Zokoye, a national commissioner at EINEC, did not take calls for comment. An official of the Labour Party presidential campaign team Tochuku Ezoki says seven days might be too little time for an inspection and configuration of voting machines. By that ruling yesterday, they started the back, you know, they would start the back of two days. It's impossible for them to have done that. Understanding the uh, system, I dare doubt also that one week will be enough to do that. Now for the Labour Party, we will keep close eye and close watch to what is happening within the uh, INEC uh, and the beavers. More than 176,000 beavers units were used nationwide during the February 25th presidential and parliamentary elections to accredit votes. But the election results have been opposed by the PDP and Labour Party. Both parties claim they won the election in which INEC declared for ruling APC candidate Bola Tinubu the winner. Observers say widespread delays and technical difficulties with the beavers hindered prompt results, uploads and raised concerns about the transparency of the election. Joe Kiari-Gadzama, legal counsel to the PDP, spoke to journalists after a court hearing Wednesday. They have to comply with the orders of court and allow us to have access. And we need just seven days to have all that we need. Because without exercising our right to have access to all this, the devices, the backends, and also to have cl- access to all the storage in the cloud. That simply means that our petition is indirectly being affected. But Tenimo Inua, a lawyer who represented INEC at the court appeal, says the inspection opposition parties are seeking could jeopardize the confidentiality of voters.
6: What the court ordered was that they can have access to the election materials such as ballot paper, result sheet, and any other material that was used for the election, in order to have access to our cloud or database. Our fear or our fears was that uh, what they are seeking may lead to identifying how a particular voter voted, and then they want to have access to our cloud which are the biometrics data or all waters. Now, if you match the the of paper with the forensic analysis of the, our
0: cloud, it will definitely show you how a water water... A- While many wait to see what happens, opposition parties threaten to protest if denied access. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria.
3: In a communique published two days ago, the M23 rebels in the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of Congo said they have ceased all hostilities. They say the move effectively halts the fighting with government troops while considering potential talks with Kinshasa. But some in eastern DRC do not believe the announcement as clashes are still being reported on the front lines. Reporter Zaneb Neti Zaide has more from GOMA.
4: After the announcement of a ceasefire, Media reports say fighting is still going on in Sake, a town about 20 kilometers from Goma. Zawadi Dunia lost her husband when she was taking refuge in Sake. She does not expect anything from the ceasefire, thought she wants peace so that she can return home. She says she lost her husband when they were fleeing the war and leaving their farm. She could not even return home before they fled because there was so much shooting. A bomb exploded in front of her husband while she followed close behind. She says he died, but God saved her what they need, she says, is peace so everyone can go back
5: home.
4: Sadiki Zakaria left his village of Kibumba, north of Goma, three months ago. He drives a private motorbike, which he uses to help feed his wife and six children. This displaced person who lives in Nyiragongo Territory does not have confidence in a ceasefire. He recalls that the rebels had announced their withdrawal from the occupied areas, but he and others say this has not been the case. He says the M23 always disappoints people. On one particular day, they announced that they had ceased hostilities, and that they had withdrawn when upon they returned to kibumba the regional forces of the east african community eac forces reassured everyone that the situation was calm but that was not true he says the rebels came back to his village and everyone fled again Civil <sighs> society north kivu on its part, calls the situation charade, and expects nothing from the M23 rebel's declaration because clashes are said to be continuing. Jean-Claude Bambaze is a member of several society. He thinks it's a joke. It is not the first time the M23 has signed a ceasefire agreement, but clashes continue on the front line. He says right now, as we are speaking they are still fighting in sake the latest media reports thursday say fighting is still taking place in villages near the city about 27 kilometers from goma town amzalem neti for VOI, africa in goma
3: You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Friday, March 10th. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And still to come on our program, Something O'Malley Sports. Hundreds of South Sudanese women gathered at the South Sudan Council of Churches compound in Juba on Thursday to pray for divine intervention. Ahead of yesterday's meeting between President Salva Kiir and First Vice President Riyak Meshar. This after the President fired Angelina Teng of the SPLMIO as defense minister and placed Kiir's ruling SPLMIG party in charge of the ministry. Viola Elias reports for viewing from Juba
5: women sobered as they sang hymns and bowed down to pray to god that the south Sudanese people do not return to war last week in a presidential degree rate on state-run television, President Kir announced the removal of Defense and Veteran Affairs Minister Angelina Teng and Interior Minister Mahmoud Solomon. In another degree, he swapped control of the Ministry of Defense and Veteran Affairs to SPLM in government and the Interior Ministry to SPLM in opposition. Paska Achai, a member of South Sudan Women's Prayer Link, says women are very concerned about the future of the country. Today, our coming here for praying, we know that uh, our country is in the situation which is not allowed to women to just sit silent and then sit in the house and just watch what is going on. Uh, As we know that uh, uh, the two, uh, 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 Salvaqir and Rang Machada are going to hold a meeting tomorrow because we know that uh, it is God who is putting everything in right Elizabeth Aya another woman who attended the prayer service is urging Kir and Machar to understand the pain and suffering of their people and not allow the country to slide back into war we are praying to leaders to be leaders who have justice leaders who are transparent leaders who know the innocence and leaders who will support us Whenever we are in problems, we were taken by surprise when we heard it in the news about the changes in the government. Attendee Elizabeth Keir says women and children have paid the heaviest price during the years of conflict and want the country's leaders to restore peace. We have experienced pain in this country whenever our leaders meet like this or someone has been removed like the Minister of Defense it can create misunderstanding between them like what had happened before that is why we are scared and crying to God so that those things would not repeat itself Lily Richard chairperson of Women's Prayer Link says South Sudanese are praying for the two leaders to settle their differences peacefully <laughs> we are hoping that president addresses the citizens because people are now afraid and people will start running out of juba thinking the country will go back to war but we have faith in god that we shall have peace rofina isaac a representative of a local rights group community empowerment for progress organization says she also believes in the power of prayers Everything we put on God's hands, it will go successfully. We believe that. And especially for us women in South Sudan, we are suffering. That's why the women are the ones who came up with these prayers. They know the suffering and the killings and a lot of burdening around the country. These prayers are going to help in peace process and it is going to bring for us settlement as we bring unity among South Sudanese. The meeting between Kir and Machar was supposed to take place on Monday last week, but was postponed to Friday. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba.
3: No African films are in the running for this year's Oscars, which take place in Los Angeles this Sunday. Eight films were submitted from the continent for consideration. Reporter Vicky Stark in Cape Town, South Africa spoke to Nigerian movie critic Wilfred Okichi. <laughs>
2: That's a bit of the trailer for the film Blue Caftan*. The movie by Moroccan Miriam Tozani went the furthest in the Oscars nominating process this year, but was absent from the final shortlist announced in January. Films are voted on by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, which is a global community of more than 10,000 of the most accomplished artists, filmmakers and executives working in film. Movie critic Wilfred Okiche says a lot of the time the odds are stacked against the African filmmakers because many of them are doing this by themselves without the support of their home countries.
7: Filmmakers who make films in Africa don't have million-dollar budget. They barely have budgets to make the film, not to talk of promoting and distributing the film. And they don't get international distributors that are plugged into the Oscars. So there's a lot of obstacles preventing the african filmmaker from competing
2: in the nearly 95 year history of the oscars only three african movies have won best foreign language film now known as the best international feature film category
7: so it's spotty it's not it's not a great record the international film has usually favored european filmmakers just for the fact that they've had that proximity with hollywood forever and they've had this film cultures forever but also, many African countries have been going to the Oscars of recent, so we've not really had that, that long history. You know, South Africa, maybe Algeria, maybe Egypt, but a lot of African countries have only been going or submitting in the last 10 years.
2: His pick for best film this year?
7: Everything, everywhere, all at once has all the momentum right now. It, they'll be hard to beat. They have the momentum, they have the narrative, they, have, they have, seem to have the industry support.
2: And how does Okiche think the movie Living, directed by South African Oliver Hermes and nominated in two categories for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Actor, will do?
7: I don't think it's going to win anything, but that's not saying that it's not a good movie or it's, it's not a great film. We all know it's a remake of a great Japanese film, Ikiru.
2: Okiche's fellow countrywoman, Nigerian singer Thames, has been nominated for the song Lift Me Up from the movie Black Panther Wakanda Forever. She and several others are credited as having written it with Barbadian singer Rihanna. Let's take a listen.
5: Lift me up Me
2: Does Okiche think Thames could walk off with a golden statue?
7: So we're really excited about her. Is she going to win? I highly doubt it. Um, that category is most likely going to go to the Indian film RRR. They have this song, Natu Natu, that is driving the whole world
2: crazy the oscars will air live in more than 200 territories worldwide from the Dolby theater at ovation hollywood vicky stark for voa news cape town south africa
3: it's time now for daybreak africa sports and here is samson Omani in abuja nigeria and very good friday morning to you samson Good Friday morning to you too,
8: James. We we'll begin the sports in Ghana, where Stars coach Chris Hunton has named Patrick Mpoza, Majid Ashimero, and Joseph Wallacott in his 25-man squad for this month's Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers against Angola. The former Tottenham hospital manager who took charge of the team on February 12, 2023 has also included Edmund Adol, Rashford Yaboa and Joseph Pinstell of Genk. Ghana will play Angola in a doubleheader this month in search of a ticket to the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations slated for Cote d'Ivoire in January next year. In club football news, Viper Sport Club SC of Uganda has confirmed parting ways with head coach Beto Bianchi after two months in charge. The club confirmed the development on his website indicating the coach has been relinquished of his role. Roberto Luis Bianchi, formerly known as Beto Bianchi, replaced Brazilian Roberto Oliveira, who moved to Simba SC, Bianchi, who took charge of only seven games, could only secure four draws and three losses. Additionally, the club failed to secure a single goal in all six games played. Former Zambia, Morocco and Ivory Coast coach Hervé Renard has been touted as one of the favourites to replace outgoing France women's national team coach Kernie De Dekere who was sacked on Thursday. The 54-year-old manager is highly regarded by the executive committee of the French Football Federation and is among a short list of four for the vacant job. That also includes current Lyon manager and Sarah Bampasta. Who represented France 156 times as a player? In boxing news, the African Boxing Union title will be up for grabs this weekend when Ugandan Latif Mwangi takes on Tanzania Alberto Clement as the new obligato. Having won all six non title bouts since turning pro, super lightweight boxer Mwangi shortly after weighing in, said he's good for the title. Show promoter is Dennis Joachim Plambeck
2: that's a big fight and uh, hopefully now we will get in the if he wins which I'm quite confident he will the, he will get on the WeBC's uh, list as well hopefully and then uh, they will start to know who he is and then maybe we can make a big world champion fight not that's the next
8: fight, but in the future. And now to golf. The 54th edition of the Magical Kenya Golf Open got underway on Thursday with round one at the Par 72 Matiagi Golf Club in Nairobi. United States pro John Katlin and South African Dylan Mozart have taken an early lead after the hot and sunny day one proceedings at the Par 1 Mateagi course. The event has attracted a total of 156 players. And that's it for this Friday's edition of Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale
3: in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. Tunisian President Kais Saeed has announced that he will dissolve municipal councils months before they were expected to be elected. Reuters said that in a video statement, Saeed said he was considering a decree to dissolve municipalities and to replace them with special counsel under new rules that he will write. He has criticized the existing ones as states within a state that were not neutral, as nearly one-third of them elected in 2018 were controlled by the Islamist party, Eneha, whose members Sahih calls criminals. Critics say the president, who has rewritten the constitution to give himself overwhelming powers, is against decentralization. An idea backed by the 2014 Constitution that has now been dissolved, many of the municipal councils struggled to bring change, complaining of small budgets. And that's it for this Friday, March 10th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I am James Buttin, Washington, wishing that you will have a great weekend.